Good morning. Good morning. I'm Pastor Craig. Don't watch much, uh, walk much mire. <laughs> you saw it anyway. Good to see each and every one of you this morning. For those of you who um, are with us uh, streamlining online, good morning to you. So happy that you're able to uh, join us today. Um, now that I've introduced myself and you know uh, who I am, um, I see you, I know who you are, but the thing is is that we all have a story to our life, right? We all have a story, we all have um, a background, we all have people running in the background, people behind the scenes uh, that, were part, that are part of our story. I don't know who those people are in your life, you may not know who all of them are in my life, <coughs> but we all have people who in our life have been influencers on us in one way or another, um, who are in the background, who don't always get the credit uh, that they should. Um, for example, how many of you have ever heard of the Wright brothers? Orville, Orville and Wilbur? Okay, there should be every hand should be up, right? <laughs> um, but have you ever heard of uh, Octave Chanute? I know, I, well, I don't know what his mother was thinking, <laughs> but <coughs> Octave Chanute, and I checked the pronunciation four times, and I checked it with my wife Sue, and she's always right, so She's not here, I get to say that. Octave Chanute. Octave Chanute actually taught the Wright brothers how to fly. Did you know that? Uh, he actually taught them how to fly. Uh, he became uh, famous and successful for his unusual creative designs. Uh, he carried out numerous experiments on his own. His glider was the most advanced aircraft of its time, and he took a particular interest uh, in the Wright brothers. Uh, their 1990 glider that the Wright brothers flew was based on his design. And it was under his influence because he suggested to the Wright brothers that what you need is a hill and a sandy, windy place to fly uh, your glider. And that's what prompted them to move to uh, Kitty Hawk, uh, North Carolina, to attempt their first flight. How many of you have ever been there, by the way? Just curious. Yeah, all it is is just a hill. <laughs> but at any rate, so there's, there's, there's Octa Octave. How about Paul Revere? How many of you ever heard of Paul Revere? Yeah, do they still teach Paul Revere in school? We all kind of heard about Paul Revere's famous night ride of April 1875 when he uh, went to warn that the British were coming at Lexington and uh, Concord uh, to uh, warn Sam Adams and John Hancock that the British, British were coming to arrest them. But how many of you have ever heard of Sybil Luddington? Anybody here, Sybil history teachers? A couple hands are up in the back. Sybil Luddington, she, at the age of 16, even though uh, in the story of Paul Revere's ride, she doesn't get any mention, but at the age of 16, she rode with him that night, and she went twice as far and rode side saddle. Sybil Luddington. How about Alexander Graham Bell and Thomas Edison? Of course, we've all heard of them, right? Because uh, Alexander Graham Bell, the phone, Thomas Edison, the light, but how about Lewis Latimer? Have you ever heard of Lewis Latimer? Yeah, Lewis Latimer was the son of a runaway slave. He was the draftsman who helped Alexander Graham Bell file his patent for the telephone. He was also the one who patented the carbon filament for the incandescent light bulb in 1881. Although Edison is generally the one that gets the credit for the light bulb, it was Lewis that came up with the patent and the filament that was able to keep light bulbs burning for hours, whereas Edison could only do it for a couple of minutes. Uh, he was an electrical pioneer in the electrical lighting industry. He helped Edison all along the way. He also developed a device which cooled and disinfected patients' rooms in hospitals. 
um, in order to help in recovery and cut down on infection rates. Uh, how many of you have ever heard of Hugo Lang? Yeah. Hugo Lang. Hugo Lang was born October 24, 1894. Uh, he was born in Warsaw, Poland at the age of 18. On February 22, 1913, he immigrated to the United States aboard the steamship Pennsylvania. He made his way to Detroit where he settled in and worked as a boiler maker. He served in the U.S. Army during World War I in the, and, the 312th Engineers. He had a deep faith uh, in Jesus Christ, and along the way, he mentored a young boy in how to deal with life's tough circumstances. If Hugo had not boarded that steamship Pennsylvania on that day and immigrated to the United States, I would not be standing here today. Hugo was my grandfather. And he was an influencer in my life, as you have influencers in your life that sometimes are behind the scenes that we don't always hear about. In this series that we're starting today, Christmas Behind the Scenes, we're going to be taking a look at the influencers, some of the most unlikely people in the Christmas story who we don't always hear about. And in, in doing that, we're going to ask God to help us own our influence in going out and telling the Christmas story to others. And today... We're going to start with a man by the name of Zechariah. So I invite you to take your Bibles out. If you don't have one, there's a Bible in the chair in front of you. Turn to page 855. We're going to be taking in Luke chapter 1, beginning at verse 5 today. By the way, if you don't have a Bible uh, and uh, you'd like to have one, the one that you're holding in your hands in front of you in the chair, you're welcome to take that home uh, as a gift from us here at Shepherd's Gate. We certainly would love to have you have that. So as we begin to talk about Zechariah this morning, I think one of the first questions that we ask is, just who was Zechariah? Who is this influencer uh, that we're talking about today? Well, if we take a look at Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, there are some things that we can learn there. We can learn, first of all, that Zechariah was a priest. He was just an ordinary priest. Let me give you a little bit of background to this. God had called Moses to go into Egypt and to bring his people, Israel, out of captivity in e from Egypt. After a while, he convinced Pharaoh to let him go. They crossed the Red Sea, and in the, they went over into the desert. As they traveled through the desert, God promised them that he was going to take them to a promised land of milk and honey. So as they traveled across the desert to the promised land, they came to a mountain called Mount Sinai. It was at Mount Sinai that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments where he actually wrote them down for the first time. And he wrote them down and he gave them to Moses. But at the same time, he also uh, gave Moses instructions on building a place of worship, a tent, a tabernacle that would move with them as they went through the desert. And then later, of course, in their history, the children of Israel would build a temple in Jerusalem. Well, after God gave Moses the instru instructions to build this tabernacle, he also instructed Moses to have his brother Aaron Aaron served as a high priest, and that Aaron and his sons and their descendants would then serve as priests in this tabernacle and, of course, again, later in the temple. So from that time on, all the way up until the time that we're reading about today with Zechariah, Aaron and his descendants, and his four, of, of Aaron and his four sons, served as priests. It was about 1,400 years that went by between uh, those two times. And Zechariah was a descendant of Aaron. Historians tell us that at the time of Zechariah, there were thousands and thousands of priests. 
Some of the estimates are up around 20,000. The book of Chronicles tells us that these priests were all divided down into sections or orders and that Zechariah was of the eighth order. Now, what did these priests do? Well, unlike the high priest who would go into the Holy of Holies once a year, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept, high priests would go in there once a year and offer up sacrifices for the people. The other priests, they would serve on a regular rotating basis in the temple, and their duty was, in, among other things, was to offer up incense at the holy place, which was different than the Holy of Holies. Now, in order to be able to do that, in order to do that, there were so many priests, and there were just not enough things for uh, enough places for the one to burn incense in terms of time and place, so they would have lots. They would draw lots to see who would actually do this. Zechariah's name was drawn to be in this particular place at this particular time. So God was even in that. God was even in the fact that he made sure that Zechariah's name was, it was an honor to have your name placed in the lottery or in the, in, in the drawing in order to uh, become eligible to burn this incense at the holy place. And so there's Zechariah. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Some priests never had uh, that opportunity to serve in that way. So here we have Zechariah. Uh, that's what we know about him. We also find out in this opening reading that he has a wife named Elizabeth and that they're childless. And we also find out in verse 6 that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth were a continuation of the Old Testament covenant, the Old Testament people who were faithful, who believed in the promise of the coming of the Messiah. At the time that Elizabeth and Zechariah lived, the religious leaders and the religious world at that time taught that you had salvation come by keeping the law, by doing good works. What this tells us is that Elizabeth and Zechariah were part of that continuation of God's people from the Old Testament who knew and understood that they were sinners, that they were in need of salvation. And the only way that that salvation was going to come to them was from outside of themselves, from the Messiah that was promised. That's what this means, that they were faithful in that belief. They were part of that group that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The poor in spirit being those who understand that they are sinners, they are in need of salvation, and it's not about works. It's not about keeping the law. All of this was um, hidden from the religious world at the time who thought that Elizabeth and Zechariah were cursed because they did not have children, that they had committed some sin. And so God was uh, cursing them for that. That's not true. Absolutely not true. God had other plans. So now we have Zechariah, and he's in this holy place. He's offering up incense and prayers, and lo and behold, an angel appears to him in verses 11 through 17. And there appeared to him an angel, a Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will grow before him, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children 
and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So, you know, so often in the Bible, whenever angels appear to people, one of the first words out of their mouth are, don't be afraid. Angels had to say that in order to let the people know that they were there not to bring bad news, but that they were there to bring good news. And so there's the angel bringing good news. You're going to have a son, and you're going to be happy. There's going to be joy in your life. Many are going to rejoice at his birth. He's going to be great in God's sight. He will come before the promised Messiah. He will be filled with the Spirit. He will turn many to the Lord. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Sometimes you have to wonder, I wonder what was greater. Zechariah's surprise at the sight of an angel what Zach or the angel Gabriel was saying to him. Because Zechariah did have a response. And the response we read in the following verses, and Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. A moment of doubt. We have Zechariah, he's a priest. He's offering up incense in the holy place. And he has an angel standing in front of him. The angel gives him this news. And Zechariah has a moment of doubt. Moment of doubt and weakness slips in. Unbelief. Show me a sign. How will I know this? Fine. You want a sign? You got one. You're not no more talking for you until your son is born. So Zechariah came out of the holy place. We read that he's unable to speak. The people are wondering what's going on. And so he goes home. Fast forward now to verse 57. And there Zechariah's son is born. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they, became, they came to circumcise the child. And they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John, and they all wondered. So the word of God given through Gabriel to Zechariah in the holy place is fulfilled. It comes true just as, just as Gabriel had said. And there's a lot of lessons, I think, that we can learn from this reading today, from what's going on with this influencer, Zechariah. But the one that I would like us to focus in on this morning is this. That God keeps all of his promises. God keeps all of his promises in his time and according to his will. We read it again in verse 20. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that the things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So Zechariah is going to be silent. 
because of this doubt and unbelief. However, there is no doubt that the baby will be born, just as God promised through Gabriel. Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, would lead many to Christ and prepare the way for him at the proper time. God keeps all of his promises in his time and according to his will. There's two examples of us beyond that in this reading for today. The prophecy, the foretelling of the coming of John the Baptist was foretold or prophesied 400 years earlier by Malachi. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. For 400 years that promise was there. And now God fulfills that promise in his time. Zechariah and Elizabeth had prayed for the birth of a child for years. And now God grants that, that promise, that prayer, in his time. His timing is always perfect. Now today, as we sit here, you may be thinking that in your life, God's timing in your life is a little off or has been off. Today you may be thinking that there are times when it seems like the time will never come or the time has come and gone. Perhaps you've missed some opportunity in life. There are times in our lives when we find ourselves questioning God and maybe questioning his timing in our life. We see that what happened to Zechariah, God's promises are true. And his timing is always spot on, even when it does not seem that way to you and to me. God keeps all of his promises in his time and his will, even when life's experiences don't make sense to us. The shock of Gabriel's news was a little bit much for Zechariah. And he was using his human reason to try and understand what Gabriel was saying. He was like, this can't be. I'm too old. My wife's too old. You know what? You really need somebody younger uh, to do this. You can't possibly uh, mean what you're saying. And so using his human reason led him to a moment of doubt, to not trusting in God's promise. Sometimes life does not make sense, but God's promises are always true. The Bible is full of promises for you and for me, and here are just a few of them. He promises that there will be seed time and harvest. That promise came right after the flood, that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. There's going to be a normal succession of seasons of seed being planted and harvest coming. That promise is for you and for me. And God has kept that promise. Have you been in Kroger lately? <laughs> he promises to be with us in presence and uh, present with us in health. He does care about our souls, but he also cares about our bodies. He, grant, he promises that he will give us peace that only he can give. And that peace is not the peace from outside conflict, but it's that inner peace of our souls of knowing and understanding that 
we have a good relationship with God the Father solely and simply because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. That's the peace that Christ gives to us. That he will grant us strength and weakness. Those times in our lives when we receive insults, hardships come our way, when life just doesn't make sense, Jesus promises that he's going to be there with us and walk with us. And that he will answer all of our prayers, each and every one of them. He hears them. All those prayers we just spoke a few minutes ago, God heard them, and he answers every single one of them. And sometimes those, answer are, those answers are, yes, absolutely. Sometimes the answer is, no, my child, I love you, and I know more than you. And sometimes those answers are yes, but not quite yet. And some of the prayers that we pray, God will answer them, and we may not even be this side of heaven when he does. But he will answer them. And that all things work for the good, and he will comfort us in sorrow and distress. You and I, as the Psalm 23 tells us, we're going to walk through valleys in our lives. The fact that we're going to walk through valleys in our lives also means that there's going to be peaks. There's going to be times of joy and laughter, but then there's going to be times where we're going to walk through the valleys which we didn't have to. But either case, the psalm reminds us that we don't have to fear that he is there walking with us each and every day and that he will send ordinary people our way to help us through. God's promises. Yet how often in our moments, how often in our moments do we doubt? It's when those promises don't seem to be fulfilled in the time and the manner that we think that they should. And how often have we in a moment of doubt let go of God's promise and presence in our life. Everyday life does take a toll at times. We're met with struggles every day, struggles in our relationships, in our families, in our workplace, out in the world, school. We pray for God's direction. We pray for peace and strength. We pray for daily blessings, yet sometimes it seems the answers are just not coming. It seems that not all things are working out for the good of those who love God. You're not alone. You're not alone. Zechariah wasn't alone. You go through the Bible, there was Abraham and Moses and David and Peter and Thomas, all of the apostles. I've had peaks and valleys in my life. There's been many instances in my life when I thought God's timing was off and I had doubt. Let me share with you just one. Those of you who have known the story about our son-in-law, Todd, who had uh, battled 10 years with brain cancer. God called him home. And it was five years ago last month that this happened, that God called him home. One of the times that I doubted God and I thought that his timing was off was the first holiday after Todd died was Thanksgiving. And so on that first holiday after the funeral, we went out to my sister-in-law's house out in Waterford to celebrate Thanksgiving with the family. And so we had Thanksgiving the day, and the day came to an end. And now it's time to go home. And I walked my daughter out to the car with her three daughters, my granddaughters, the oldest being 12, the youngest being three. Got them all packed in the car and everything. And then as she drove away, I'm watching that, that minivan drive down the street, and she's all alone. She's all alone. And I went in the house, and I bawled like a baby. I just couldn't handle it. And I thought, you know what, God? This doesn't make any sense. Why would you do this? God's timing. Sometimes we doubt. 
and we don't know and understand what his timing is, but God keeps all of his promises, even in our moments of doubt. Zechariah, he doubted, but it didn't change God's mind. Didn't change or cancel the promise because Zechariah had a moment of doubt. Yeah, he was going to be unable to speak for a while, but that was temporary, and God's promise was going to be forever. All of these promises that are on the screen, as we stand or I stand here now, and I look back over the last five years, I can see where God has kept every single one of these promises in my life, in my daughter's life, our family's life. The same is true for you. God keeps all of his promises. Think about that. He does not allow our doubt and our questions to change his mind. It didn't change his mind regarding the coming of the Messiah to die for you. Because he keeps all of his promises, not even according to his will and in his time, but also out of love for you and for me. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. God does keep all of his promises. He keeps all of his gospel promises. But he also keeps all of his law promises. That's why Jesus Christ had to come into the world. Because to break God's law means eternal death. And you and I needed a Savior. We needed someone to live that law of God perfectly in our place and to pay the price for our sins. And that's why Jesus Christ came into the world. For as Romans 5, 6 tells us, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And that's you and that's me. The promise of a Savior was given in the Garden of Eden. Think about this. You think God's timing is off or it's not there when we think it should be. God promised a Savior in the Garden of Eden. The faithful people of God who believed in that promise believed in it for 2,000 years. 2,000 years. Generation after generation after generation continued to believe in that promise that God gave. And Zechariah thought that God's timing was too late. But Gabriel's words show us that God purposely waited for Zechariah and Elizabeth to reach the age that they did and to put him in that holy place at the time that he did because God wanted this to be an obvious miracle. God knew exactly when Elizabeth was going to have that baby. He knew exactly what the baby's name was going to be, and he knew exactly what that baby was going to grow up to be. God's word through Gabriel tells us that God, is, in his perfect wisdom, is in charge. And that God does everything exactly when and how he wills it. He wanted the birth of John the Baptist to point to the greater miracle that was to come. And that was the birth, the virgin birth, of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And God sent Christ into the world at just the right time. The people who believed in the coming of the Messiah, they believed that the Messiah was going to come and free them from Roman rule, which they lived under at that time. They thought this, but that's not what the Messiah was promised. The, prom the Messiah was promised to save them from their sin. And so God sent the Messiah into the world at the right time. God sent Christ to the cross at exactly the right time, and, Christ ra and God raised him from the dead at exactly the right time the right time. And God will come again in glory again at the right time. Because he's promised he would. 
He has told us in the Bible, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where you am, that where I am, you may be also. His promises are true. And one of these days, he's going to come again in glory. And all of the things that we experience, the death, the sickness, the illness, the crime, all of it's going to go away. It's all going to pass away. And there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And there's going to be a lot of things for us to do on it. It's God's promise. It's God's love. And that he loves us and he grants us his grace and keeps all of his promises. Zechariah's response is a witness to this kind of example. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. Zechariah's response to John's birth, despite that all that they had been through, was to praise God. Didn't grumble, didn't complain, didn't ask why could it have been twins. but to praise God. We see his praise in verses 67 through 79 when we see that he praised God for the Messiah that Jesus has come. Notice that's present tense. Come back next week, you'll find out why it's present tense. <laughs> but that Jesus has come to redeem and to save and to show mercy and to keep his promise he made in the Garden of Eden. Zechariah used the occasion to praise God and use his influence to affect the lives of others. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Zechariah's response was to praise God for all of the promises kept, and in that he influenced his neighbors. And they all went home talking about God. This Christmas season, you and I are the influencers. It's that time of year when people are most open to hearing the story of the gospel, of hearing about Jesus Christ. And we have the opportunity to influence those around us with this good news. The good news that Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, would go on to proclaim when he first saw Jesus coming. Look, see, believe, understand the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the Christmas story. And you and I have the opportunity to tell others of God's faithfulness in our lives, that he keeps all of his promises in his time according to his will and always out of love for us through all that we experience in our daily life. Here's what we can tell them. We have a lot of pages ahead of us in the days and the years to come. We don't know completely what's written on those pages yet, but we do know this, that God keeps his promises. And that we can move forward confidently in the promises of God because he is faithful. The cradle and the cross are for the same purpose. And here's what we can tell people this Christmas season, paraphrasing what Peter writes. Blessed be the God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused me to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And now, because I have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith in Christ, I have this treasure that's being kept for me in heaven. And this treasure that's being kept for me in heaven, it will not perish. It cannot spoil. It cannot rust. 
and it cannot be stolen. And that I am being kept by the power of the Holy Spirit in the true faith through the gospel and the forgiveness of sins. And yes, no, I don't see him right now. I don't see him right now, but I love him. And I know he's there. And yes, there are some things that I'm going to have to go through in my life, some trials. But as I know I go through them, I know that it tests my faith, just like gold is tested by fire. But my faith is more precious than gold. And when those things test me, I give praise and honor to Christ because I know that his promises are true and he will see me through them. Through them. I love him. And one day he's going to come and get in glory. That's the Christmas story. And that's what we can tell people. That's what we can influence them with. So here's my challenge for you. It says, in these things, we're all talked about through blank. As we, you know, you all are here today. We're all here today because someone influenced us to be here. Who will you influence in the days to come? And what will you write in that blank? Just as the people heard about John the Baptist and went home talking about God, you go about talking about, and then what's going to happen? As you talk about him through, they're going to talk about it through what? Your home, your workplace. You fill in the blank so that all who hear it can lay up in their hearts and they too, along with you, can say, Jesus is my Lord. Our influence. We have it. And we all have it by the same power of the Holy Spirit that Zechariah had when he praised God and gave thanks to him for the promises kept. A lot of promises have been kept for you and for me this past year. Let's give thanks and praise to God this Christmas and tell that story and influence others. We're going to prepare our hearts now to receive Holy Communion. And if you would join with me, for those of you who are guests with us here at Shepherd's Gate, uh, the guidelines for communion are on the screen. If you join with me in prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we do come to you this morning. We come to you confessing that there have been times in our lives when we have doubted, when we have let go of your promise. There have been times in our life, Lord, that we pray and ask that you would grant us forgiveness for this and for all of our sin. We pray and ask this, that you would hear us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup and he blessed it. And he gave it to them, and he said, Drink from it, all of you. This cup is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. Just do as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. Come now and receive that forgiveness that is yours and mine through Christ Jesus. All has been prepared for us. Now may this true body and blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ strengthen you and keep you in the true faith until one day you do see Jesus face to face. God bless you today and all week. Walk in his promise. We'll see you next week.